Great. The reading is Revelation chapter 17, verses 3 to 14, and then chapter 18, verses 1 to 3. And it can be found on page 1245 in the Red Bibles. So, Revelation chapter 17, verse 3. Revelation chapter 17, verse 3. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life, from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. And then continuing from chapter 18, verse 1 to 3. So chapter 18, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries, the king of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
It is, uh, it's quite powerful, isn't it, to hear that song, which you might associate with uh, uh, perhaps a different season of the year, kind of Christmas around that kind of time, but actually to hear uh, the resonance of that and what it's uh, saying in light of Revelation and where we've been and the kind of spiritual uh, realities that it has been pointing us to. It's very powerful to hear that uh, in a different uh, time of year, a different context. Um, we are going to look um, uh, at this uh, chapter, and I as I say, I'm aware, you know, we've, we've been working through and it is, you are, you're, you're doing well <laughs> to, to hang in there. I've had lots of conversations with people about uh, some of the nature of um, just the, the way in which uh, Revelation portrays uh, judgment, the way it helps us understand the world. Some of it's uncomfortable, some of it is helpful uh, in different ways. I thought we'd start with a slightly different note uh, uh, this morning. Okay, we'll come at it slightly differently today. Uh, we're thinking about, uh, well, well I'll, I'll introduce this. I've got, I've got a, a quotation for you, which is going to come up in just a moment. And, and I wonder if you can, uh, and I saw, you know, different notes, can you guess who said this? Okay, so a little bit of a quiz for you at the moment. So in a moment, I'll get you to turn to something nearby. I'm going to read it first, uh, and then you can guess who said it. It says, when a regime has been in power too long, when it has fatally exhausted the patience of the people, and when oblivion finally beckons, I'm afraid that across the world you can rely on the leaders of that regime to act solely in the interests of self-preservation and not in the interests of the electorates. So when uh, a regime has been in power too long uh, and it's exhausted, you can rely on the leaders of that regime to act in the interest of self-preservation and not in the interest of the electorate. Who said it? Who could have said that? Uh, Turn to somebody nearby. Uh, Who do you think said it? Uh, Any ideas? Any ideas who uh, might have said those words? Okay. I think... I think a couple of you. I think a couple of you think you might know who this is. Not quite sure. As if, I see a few people mouthing the possibility. Okay, this is who said it. It is Boris Johnson. So you may be surprised by that. You may be not surprised by that. In many ways, it's quite something, isn't it? Uh, given recent history, so some of you are like, "Oh my, really?" It's uh, uh, given recent history. Um, you know, you can rely on leaders across the world when things go wrong, that they will act in self-preservation. Uh, it's an interesting uh, thought. It's, it's in many ways astonishing uh, to read that that was a quotation from him, given uh, recent events. But it is, and what we're asking today is, what do we expect worldly powers to be like? There is an expectation, perhaps sadly fulfilled, But what do we expect worldly powers to be like? What do we expect the world that we are in to be like? What is your experience of that? Um, And I think particularly for, if you are somebody who uh, reads uh, the news, watches or scrolls through the news, consumes news in different ways, and you are somebody who perhaps does that and despairs quite a lot at the moment. If you're somebody who scrolls through in the morning and you shake your head uh, if you're a place where you have your, uh, in your household, uh, there are conversations as to, you know, why is the world this way at the moment? Um, uh, this chapter, Revelation 17, you might not think it, but it's actually very much for you this morning. In fact, I'm not really sure. I, it's one of the chapters in the Bible that is it's really very helpful in navigating and thinking about how the world really is and what we're to expect, particularly as Christians. If you're a Christian here this morning, if you're just thinking it through still, 
Here is a window into how Christians view the world and understand some of it. Uh, if you are somebody who has those kind of conversations, and if you despair, if you shake your head, if you feel, uh, uh, so why is the world this way? I think this is uh, for you. Um, okay, we, are, we get, uh, in the passage, John is, uh, describes himself at one point as greatly astonished by what he sees. And later on, uh, he's told, uh, this calls for a mind of, uh, with wisdom. And you kind of think, well, Revelation has been a lot like that. You know, we could all do a dose of wisdom to figure out what it's saying. But it is, I think, a helpful routine. And we're going to look at three things quite briefly uh, to help us really look at what do we expect worldly powers to be. Uh, three things. Firstly, that they look good on the outside. Secondly, that they rise and fall ruthlessly. Uh, third, that they won't last that they won't last. Three things that I hope will help us navigate the world as we see it and read about it. Uh, We'll look at those and then we'll think about how it helps us. And you'll see the table is set uh, for communion, to share bread and wine. And hopefully I think it will perhaps sharpen our sense of what it is we're doing as we come to share bread and wine together. What does it mean and why is that helpful for us in light of what we see? Um, let me read uh, from verse 3 again. So the first of our things, worldly powers, what do we expect? We, ex- we should expect them to look good on the outside. Um, then an angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert, and I saw, to so next vision, a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Uh, The name written on her forehead was a mystery. that It says, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Okay, so this vision, and again, I, I know the disconnect of the language, the picture language that we have here can be jarring. But here we have another uh, picture of a woman on a beast. And it's important to remember that a couple of chapters ago, if you were with us, chapter 12, we saw a different picture of a woman who was a symbol, a picture. And that woman, also dressed uh, uh, in red, that woman was a picture of God's believing people, God's community. Through history, Old Testament and New Testament, we had a picture before. Do you remember? It was the picture of the woman, and she was, um, she was pregnant, and she was in distress, but she was going to give birth to a savior, a king. There was that, and I had a picture, um, sort of medieval uh, depiction of her. So there was a picture that we've seen already of the woman who represented the world for God, if you like, the believers of whom we are a part. In history, the, the line of uh, believers from whom this offspring would come, this child who would be uh, God's king and chosen saviour. Now, what we have is a different picture, contrast, a different woman, a pictured on the beast, who is representing the world against God. And it's important to have that contrast in your mind. So now we have the woman uh, who, who represents the world against God. The beast, so often in Revelation, has reminded us of um, Satan's power in the world. And actually, we talked about the reality, the spiritual forces that are in the world, the cosmic realities, which we don't often think about so much. But here you have um, Satan's power in the, uh, in the world. And so this picture of the world against God. Now, I've got a picture here. Again, a sort of, um, this one's sort of more from the 1500s. I think it uh, was linked to Luther's Bible at the time, possibly an illustration of that time. 
And you'll see the picture here, again, of its time. Um, uh, and so there's the beast looking, you know, kind of uh, uh, quite uh, lurid. And uh, the woman you can see there, she's holding the golden uh, cup. But the significance of what this picture helps us see is if you can see all the rulers and the princes and the kings on the left-hand side, they are all bowing down to and paying homage to this beast with the woman on it. And they represent worldly powers that are enthralled to or are controlled by the beast, Satan, and his work in the world. And it's a good way of picturing just what is going on here, as, uh, as we'll see, as we'll, we'll kind of, there's, a, there's an interpretation that comes. But where we start with this um, uh, beast and the woman on it is that initially what John is kind of conveying to us is that they look good on the outside. Powers, uh, Satan's power in the world, will often look attractive, will often look powerful, will often look glittering. And Pete was describing uh, the sort of... Um, uh, uh, clothes that she's dressed in, purple and scarlet. Uh, In the Roman Empire, we'll talk a little bit about the um, context of Rome in a bit, but in the Roman Empire, they regulated who was allowed to wear purple cloth. Only if you were sort of the elite were you allowed to wear it. You couldn't just, you know, go around and choose it yourself. Only if you were the right social strata were you allowed to wear that. So she looks good. She looks impressive. I know it might you know, it might seem jarring to us, but what they would have recognized here, she holds this golden cup adorned with these jewels. She's, she holds this golden cup. It looks good on the outside, but inside it's full of corruption. It's full of uh, uh, filth, degradation, oppression. And the picture, in a sense, is of something that looks good on the outside, but actually the, the wealth that she has comes through oppression. It comes through the murder of Uh, God's people in this, uh, in verse 6. It comes through corruption. It's not on the inside how it appears on the outside. And for those readers who knew the world of Rome at the time, they would have recognized what was being described. Institutions, worldly powers, where things look impressive on the outside, but the reality is quite different. And it isn't hard. I think it's that hard, actually, to make, to trace some uh, mental links from how they would have first received that and known the, the Roman Empire to be to where we are today. We have seen, haven't we, in recent years, institutions wrestling with the histories they have, the histories related to slavery that they are trying to work through and think, actually, some of where we have got to has been literally on the backs of other people. If we're honest, some of our sporting institutions, which look very glittering, very powerful, very impressive on the outside, are often have quite a difficult, uncomfortable underbelly for where the money has come from. If you look around the world, some of our sporting institutions that have propped up other regimes have sourced their money from quite uncomfortable places that we don't often want to look at because it looks powerful. It looks impressive. We love it. It's quite tricky, isn't it, to think through. But the worldly power, we're to expect it to look good on the outside, to look impressive. It's a reminder of how the world will be frequently. Worldly power, political power. It looks good on the outside. Second, it will rise and fall ruthlessly. 
Now, there is a, a sequence here, and this, this beast gets quite a lot of careful description, and, and unusually in Revelation, we actually get a, a, an explanation. Now, you might think, well, the explanation wasn't much help, more helpful than the original, um, but it does try and unpack some things. So this is verses 9 to 11, so have a look particularly there. So it says, it calls for a mind with wisdom, and he gets this voice which explains the seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. Now, seven hills, why that? Rome was said to have been founded and built on an area with these seven hills. So the great power of the day was it's kind of bringing that to mind. So they would have recognized that much more readily. Then we get this sequence um, of, uh, of uh, uh, these individuals, these kings, um, seven kings, five have fallen. So it's kind of looking back. One is now. The other has not yet come. So it's trying to locate us in a sequence of rising and falling rulers. Uh, The other hasn't yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only for a little while. Uh, Verse 11, the beast who once was, now is not, is an eighth king. So the beast is also a king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. Now, uh, people try and sort of locate this in Roman history and say, well, is it this emperor and that emperor, and can we sort of date them and figure out where we are? But the main, there's not a lot of detail given here. The main thing that I think is trying to get across is there is going to be, looking back, you can already see it, says John, this sequence of leaders who have risen and fallen, and they don't last long, and in fact, they stab one another in the back, and they lead to one another's destruction. They will not be here. They will come, and they will go, and you will see this happen. And I wrote this, in all honesty, uh, before even the events in Russia yesterday, to watch Suddenly, from seemingly nowhere, it's not quite sure, it seems to have you know, uh, sort of come and gone almost. But in a, in a sense, in a, in a situation where there is a war happening in Europe, and then suddenly rises up somebody who is going to lay claim to a power that's going to defeat... And do you see what I'm... This, this rise and fall, they will rise and fall ruthlessly. And if you followed politics in this country even over the past year, and if you've despaired and you've said, we just, I can calculate the number of leaders we've had, and they've come and gone, and they seem to stab one another in the back, and they don't seem to last very long. This is what to expect, John is saying. They will rise and fall ruthlessly. And it's here. And you see it played out. And so I, I watched the news yesterday unfolding, going, wow. They will rise and fall ruthlessly. Now that's looking back and there will be this destruction. They will each come to an end. And then, thirdly, so they will look good on the outside, these worldly powers. They will rise and fall ruthless, ruthlessly. <laughs> it's got hard to say. Uh, and then, thirdly, they won't last. They won't last. So now he looks forward to verse 12. So now interpreting these ten horns that you saw on the beast. Uh, it says, the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom. So now we're sort of looking ahead from John's point of view. What's going to come next? Another series of leaders who will rise and fall, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. Um, And again, people try and locate who might these be, what are they saying? Um, And again, there's not much detail, except to say they get one hour each. And the message that John has given is, you're going to see this come, and they will be, they will they will flash in the pan. They will come and they will go and they will be remembered no more, so to speak. Uh, they will have this short time. But be ready for that. Why so short? Well, really because 
They are being used by the beast. So it says, uh, for one hour they will receive authority as kings along with the beast, and they have one purpose. They will give their power and authority to the beast. So really they are in service. They don't necessarily recognize they are or think they are, but they are in service to this beast, to Satan. And it's a, a brief window of power they are given and it is taken away. And for one hour each, they will just they will pass by like uh, the others. And saying to, to expect this. And they've surrendered themselves to the beast's power. But it will come to an end. And why will it come to an end? Ultimately, verse 14, they will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Uh, all through this term, when we've, uh, the children and young people out uh, in their groups at the back, we've often taught them and the leaders have taught them and said, look, do you know, the story here, we see these dragons, we see these beasts, and they represent uh, forces against God, but do you know the lamb wins. The lamb wins. He may not look like he would. A lamb, you wouldn't expect to triumph over a dragon. But the slain lamb, who by his blood dies for us, is the one who triumphs and wins. He's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Now, if you are if you're one of those John was writing to, do you see, as he says, look, can you see, the, uh, uh, the, the way that you'll see the world, you'll see it will look good on the outside. It will look glittering and look impressive. It, yet you'll see it rise and fall ruthlessly. You'll see leaders come and go and, and know that they won't last. He is trying to set their expectations for the world that they are living in. To set their expectations, this is what it will be like. This is what you will see when, uh, you, when you see the unfolding of the empire in Rome at the day, the power of the day. When you see that, don't be surprised. When we as uh, Christians today, when a leader proves corrupt, when uh, an institution proves to burn itself out through corruption, and uh, I guess the, the overuse of power in the world. Don't be surprised by that, says John. How does this help us? I think this can help us. Now, I appreciate, I appreciate it's warm, and, and, it's, uh, and you may be thinking, I don't know, it's just, it sounds bleak, Paul. How does this help us? If you are somebody who is world-weary today, I think this can help you. Um, I've chatted with various of you. Actually, it's very hard not to be over recent years. If you've, if you've followed what has gone on, if you looked at the world and thought, I just genuinely it feels like the world is in a bad place right now. If you are world-weary today, if you're somebody um, who feels powerless in the world and you read what you read and you think it's a, there's nothing that seems to be able to be done by what is unfolding in the world, how are we living in a time where uh, we have the leaders that we have? How are we living in a time where there's the, a war in Europe? And so on. I think this can help you. If you're somebody whose household has conversations where, you, uh, where, where one of you uh, despairs and says, you know, uh, we do this a bit in our house. We have regular conversations about whether it's politics or the economy or cost of living or whatever it might be. And you, you kind of you shake your head and say, what? I, don't, I don't know what to do. If you feel powerless in that way, I think this helps because it helps remind us that we're not to be surprised by what is happening. And we're to know that Jesus is with us in the middle of it. None of this surprises him. 
In fact, he says, look, victory, my victory is not in doubt. I have waged uh, war and my triumph will be, it will be seen fully one day, but it is guaranteed at this point. I am the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And he says this, so at the end of verse 14, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. If you're a Christian here this morning, you are one of his called and chosen followers. He says, I've called you and chosen you. So yes, to live in a world that is pretty hard going at times, to live in a world where you will see these things, leaders will rise and fall, you'll see powers that are corrupt, you'll see institutions that are. But I have called and chosen you to live in this world. And as you scroll through the news and you shake your head or you despair, imagine Jesus is with you saying, I said that would happen. I know that's, I know that's what's going to unfold. I know that is hard, but I'm with you in this. None of this surprises me. As you hear the latest and it alarms you, Jesus says, I'm with you in that. I know it is alarming. I'm not going to sort of sugarcoat it for you. But you see, I said, this is what it would be like, and I'm here alongside you. And in fact, we saw the woman with her goblets, this kind of horrible uh, abomination, this kind of uh, sense of corruption, this uh, filthiness. He says, actually, you know, I drank a cup of God's judgment, of God's wrath, because that's the state our world is in. I drank that on your and my behalf. That's you might be my people. I've called you. I've chosen you to be a community, to be an alternative community in the world. One who, yes, lives in and understands the world as it is, but goes from here and into the places, the families, the workspaces that you are in, brings a sense of God's light, his life, his eternal possibility into a world that Others alongside you will be hanging their heads and shaking their heads and going, I don't understand the world. And you say, well, I know somebody who does. He drank a cup for you and me that we might live as his people. I've been called and chosen by him. And that, I pray, will encourage us. Yes, the world is is weary and, and it is pretty bleak. And Revelation 17, if you're somebody who just struggles with that, it's here for you to say, do you know, that is what the world is like. But as you scroll and as you watch your news, Jesus is saying, I know, I am with you. And I've called you around my table. And one day everyone will see. And as unlikely as it is, a community of the Lamb who drinks and eats together is the way that I am remaking the world. And you are a part of that. Not just here now today. Tomorrow, this week, as you go out from here, you take that with you. So might that encourage us the next time you turn, flick through the news and turn to somebody and go, oh, I can't believe it. Jesus is with you.